In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Let's pray together. Father, we ask for your help this morning as we come to your word. We thank the Lord that we can sing your word today. We thank the Lord that uh, we can hear your word. We thank the Lord that we can read your word. But we thank the Lord as well that your word can be preached to us. And we ask that your spirit would open our eyes, would open our ears, would open our hearts to the truths that are here recorded for us in your scriptures. We know your word is profitable for instruction, for our instruction and training in righteousness. So we pray, Lord, today that you would instruct us. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would convict us and that he would grant us repentance where repentance is needed and comfort to those where comfort is needed. So we pray, Lord, that this would not just be another Christmas sermon. And I'm sure many of us have heard this passage many times before. But we pray that we would come with fresh eyes, Lord, to hear truths that we may have not heard before. Truths that are here for us to, to hear and to learn. So we ask for your help now. We ask and pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So I wonder if you have ever had one of those moments in your life where you've asked yourself, why now? Why is this happening now? Maybe you've asked, I'm trying to serve you, Lord. I'm, I'm trying to do the best that I can. Why is this situation happening to me now? The timing just doesn't seem to make sense. I've, I've said that a few times. Or perhaps you've found yourself at a place in life where you thought to yourself, Lord, I, I don't want to be here. I want to rather be somewhere else. I don't want to be here. I want to, I want to be there. Why do you have me here? I don't want to be here. I want to be somewhere else. Where you have me doesn't make sense. I'm not, I'm not happy. I, I'm lonely. Or I even feel hopeless. I don't want to be here. I want to be somewhere else. Why? Why am I here? <clears throat> or maybe you've asked a question. Why is this happening at all? I don't understand these circumstances. These circumstances don't make sense to me. They don't bear out the things that you've been telling me in your word that you want me to believe. You want me to believe that you're never going to leave me. You've said in your word that you're never going to forsake me. You're always going to be there for me. But right now I don't seem to, to feel that or I don't seem to, to know that. Because of the circumstances that, are, that you may be surrounding Perhaps you've been in those situations. Perhaps you've asked those questions to, to yourself while you've been praying to the Lord. Well, if you've asked those questions, I want to encourage you that the answers to those questions are right here in our passage this morning. And God's waiting for us right here in, in the first seven verses. And I want you to see four things 
as we walk through this, this passage together. And the first point this morning is the timing of the Lord Jesus' birth. The timing of the Lord Jesus' birth. We see that in verse 1 to verse 3. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinus was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. So the first thing we see is the timing of the Lord Jesus' birth. You know, if you had been a faithful Jewish person at the time of the birth of the Lord Jesus, and had been thinking about the nation Israel and the, the national heritage, it would not have been the highlight of the Jewish history at that time when, when Jesus was born. You know, a thousand years before Jesus was born was the highlight. Israel was the greatest kingdom in the Mediterranean at that time. David was, was king. He was reigning. Solomon would follow his, his lead and would continue as, as king and, and reign well. And they had peace on all sides from their enemies during Solomon's reign. And emissaries were coming from different countries, from, from Africa and from the Far East, to, to hear about the wisdom of the, the king of, of Israel. But that is not the way it is around the time of the, the birth of Jesus Christ. Not only has, has Israel suffered the division of the, the northern and the, the southern kingdoms splitting, and not only have the Assyrians taken over the, the northern kingdom, but not only has exile occurred even for the members of the, the southern kingdom, but there's no kingdom of Israel left at this stage. Israel is just a, a petty patron state of a pagan Roman oppressor. So if you and I were faithful Jewish people living in the land of Canaan, in the land of Israel, in the land of Palestine, at the time of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, we would be thinking, look, you have pagans ruling over us. Why? These people are not even theists. They're, they're polytheists. They believe in many gods, not just, not just one god. They don't even understand that there's, that there's one true God. They're immoral. They're unspiritual pagans. They, 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 they are ruling us. Why? Why? And it's fascinating to me that, that Luke delights in telling Theophilus and all those early Christians that were hearing this gospel, well, guess how God displays His sovereignty in the birth of the Messiah? He has the Roman emperor, the most powerful person in the world, and his, his regional representatives, Quirinus, who was, who was governor of Syria. And he has them do his bidding. And often we may feel like pawns in, in the hands of some big power like the, the Roman Empire. And we may feel rather small in its efficient administration. But in fact... Caesar Augustus, who was the, the grand uncle of Julius Caesar, is in fact, in reality, God's pawn. He is being used by God for God's purposes. Think about that for a moment. And folks, I think, let me, just, let me just remind you that 
We often feel like that. That we are not in control of any situation. That we are living under an oppressor's hand. Perhaps in the country where you're from. Or where you'll be going back to. But remember, that's not, you're not the first in history to have felt like that. Now, Caesar Augustus died in 14 AD. He ruled for almost 45, year, 45 years. He left a, a legacy of peace and prosperity. He had a, a good administration and many public works that were built during his time. And there was a network of, of wonderful roads that had been built during his time. And of course, these roads enabled people to travel to different provinces and enabled the, the easy spread of, of the gospel by Christians after the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now think about that. That all played into God's perfect timing. Perfect timing. And God is sovereign over every empire that ever was. And He's sovereign over every empire that ever will be. He will use the most powerful empire on earth to do His bidding. Because He rules over all. And our times are, are in His hands. Our times are in His hands. And let me suggest to you that many of us need to remember that right now, all over the world, especially right here in the Middle East, God is ruling and He is reigning. And the most powerful people, no matter what royal family they are from, these are the pawns in the hands of this sovereign God that we worship. We do not need to fear. We do not need to fear if our faith and our trust is in God. Because God reigns. And He reigns now and forever. But look at the place of Jesus' birth. My second point. There in verse 4 and verse 5. And we know the place of Jesus' birth was in Bethlehem. We see it described in verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee. So they were in Galilee. From the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary his betrothed who was with child so how many times have you heard Jesus of Bethlehem well probably none because the Bible doesn't describe Jesus as Jesus of Bethlehem I'm sure you've heard the description of Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth and the reason is because that is where his parents were from. That is the city where, where Jesus was raised, where his home was. So what is so important about the place of, of Jesus' birth? Well, if Jesus was born in Nazareth, it would have been a, a problem. He, would not, he could not have been the promised Messiah. Because there's a prophecy in Micah who prophesied that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. The Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. In fact, that's in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, if you want to read that at a later stage. And as we read the accounts of Jesus' birth, we, we see clearly God's sovereign hand in the lives of man, orchestrating His glorious story. Now, how is God going to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem so that the Messiah is born in the right place and at the right time? Well, of course, that's not a problem for God. God has a, a Roman emperor. He has a, a governor of Syria that will do just fine. That will do his work. That will do his bidding. God has 
got Jewish administrators and who will force everyone to go to their hometown in order to be numbered for a, for a census, as we see in, in verse 3 there. But this census or registration had, had two purposes. And one was to register people so that they could be taxed. And the other was to register young men for military service. And since Jews were exempt from, military, from Roman military service, this registration was in effect to be used as a basis for collecting taxes. And what is so ironic is that God used Caesar Augustus to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem so that Jesus could be born there. This is not by chance, folks. This is intentional. God's hand is doing what he promised he would do. God was using Caesar Augustus to accomplish his own perfect will. You know, you may be wondering, Lord, why do you have me where you have me? Why am I living here? Or why am I moving there? I don't want to be here. I don't want to be there. I want to be somewhere else. I don't know how you're, you're going to get me from here to where I, I want to be. And God had no problems getting Joseph and Mary from where they were to where they needed to be. God has you where he needs you to be. God will move you to where he needs you to be. Now where you may need to be may be right where you are at the moment. Or it may be somewhere else. But you can be assured of this. God can get you where you need to be. It's not a problem for him. It's not a problem for him. And if he has to use a Roman emperor to do it, then he will do that. God can get you where you need to be. He got Jesus where he needed to be in order for this prophecy to be fulfilled. He got Joseph and Mary where they needed to be in order for him to be born in, in Bethlehem. God is sovereign in all our ways, in all our times, and in all of our places. I remember one preacher saying once, and I've never forgotten this, if God is, God is sovereign over all or he is not sovereign at all, he is sovereign over all or he's not sovereign at all. We can see God's sovereign hand right here, folks. Even in the small little details. God is in control of everything. He's in control of your time. He's in control of your, your places. It's a wonderful proverb in, 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 the, in the scriptures. Proverbs 16 verse 9 says, The heart of man plans his way. But the Lord establishes his steps. Let me read that again. The heart of man plans his way. But the Lord establishes his steps. We plan, but it's the Lord who establishes our steps, folks. And we need to trust that the Lord's perfect will be done. And we need to pray that his perfect will be done. And we need to trust his sovereignty and not lean on our own understanding. In all our ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct our paths. God is sovereign over our time. He is sovereign even over the places where we are. The third thing we look at this morning is the method of Jesus' birth. Look there at verse 6 and 7. Here I think we have a little window into the very character of, of God. In verse, in verse 6, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Talking about Mary. And she gave birth 
to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room, there was no place for them in the inn. Luke simply said that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. I think it's an important point to make that this wasn't her only son. Okay, The Catholics believe that um, Jesus was born from a virgin and that she had no more children. Well, that's not true. Jesus had four other brothers and, and two other sisters. Okay, But Jesus was Mary's firstborn son. But notice, there were no angels there. There were no heavenly trumpets. And there were no voices from heaven announcing the, the birth of, of the Son of God. She was alone. She was with Joseph, her betrothed. They weren't even officially and formally married yet. They were betrothed. And they were far away from family. They were far away from friends when she gave birth to her firstborn son. One commentator vividly imagines the birth of Jesus. And let me quote what he says. If we imagine that Jesus was born in a freshly swept country fair stable we missed the whole point it was wretched it was scandalous there was sweat and pain and blood and cries as mary reached up to the heavens for for help the earth was cold and hard the smell of birth mixed with the stench of manure and acrid straw made a contemptible bouquet trembling carpenter's hands clumsy with fear grasped God's son, slippery with blood, the baby's limbs waving helplessly as if falling through space, his face grimacing as he grasped in the cold and, in, and his cry pierced the night. I think that's a wonderful description and, and I think we often lose, lose the vision here, lose the picture here that that the scriptures are trying to paint for us. It wasn't a nice, cozy stable. Try and imagine, try and imagine the zoo on a bad day, okay? We have that picture for us right here, don't we? Try and imagine the zoo when it's not being kept well by the, by, by the, the caretakers. And we often can smell that, can't we? And that's where Jesus was born, in a, in a smelly stable, folks. An unclean, dirty place. I think this description of the, the manner of, of Jesus' birth, the context into which he was, was born, reminds us of a very important truth. It reminds us of the, the greatness of God's love to us in the gospel, in his condescension, in his humility. We see a window into the heart and the, the character of God here. And especially we see something of his grace and his humility. In very simple terms. Luke tells us that, that Jesus was born to a young mother in a very difficult circumstance. Mary held the, the body of a real human being when she held Jesus. He really was a person. Now, Jesus, the Son of God, was not, was not created at Christmas. Jesus wasn't invented at Christmas time, okay? Jesus was always there from the beginning, right. before eternity passed. But he was incarnated 
at Christmas, folks, there's a difference. He became flesh. Carnation. You've heard the word carnivore. That's the word flesh. They eat flesh. Carnivores eat flesh. Some more than others. Brian's a, Brian's a herbivore. He doesn't eat flesh. <laughs> Some of us do. Carnivore. Flesh. God incarnate. He became flesh. Very important to understand. The God of the universe entered our time. He entered our space in the person of the little baby. He set aside the prerogative of his deity and accepted all the the limitations of our human condition. He became one of us so that he could sympathize with us. And more importantly, so that he could offer up his body as a sacrifice. The perfect sacrifice. It was necessary that Jesus be fully human. And it was necessary that he was born. I've often thought, why didn't Jesus just zap himself into existence, into our existence, when he was 28 years old? Why didn't he just magically appear at 28 years old? Well, the reason, folks, was so that he could live a human life. So that he could experience what we all experience. That he could understand what we go through. So that he could sympathize with us. And give his life and his body as a sacrifice for us. He was fully human. So that he could fully obey God on our behalf. And fully offer his body as a sacrifice. In order to receive this gift of salvation... Our faith has to be in this God incarnate. The Son of God who lived and died and lives again in true humanity. Fully God and fully human all at the same time. And the sad truth is humanity has rebelled against this God. We have chosen a piece of fruit over God incarnate. We have preferred to worship ourselves and our own dreams and our own ambitions rather than Him who humbled Himself and came in the form of a human. Romans 5 verse 12 tells us that sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Every single one of us are born sinners, folks. Because of Adam. Because of Adam. You have inherited his sin nature. You have inherited your parents' sin nature. As beautiful as those babies are, they are sinners. Except Jesus. Jesus didn't have have a human nature to inherit. Because he was divine. Because he was not of the seed of his father. He was from the seed of the Holy Spirit. And sin came into the world. And God punished Man, when Adam sinned. And the curse on all humans and animals in the world form part of this punishment as we see in Genesis chapter 3. And that is why we have such natural disasters like earthquakes and tsunamis and floods and, and volcanic eruptions like just recently happened in New Zealand. The entire creation, including man in this universe, was designed to give glory to God. But when man sinned and the cursed creation was made incapable of doing this properly. 
We fell short of the glory of God. Before the fall, creation was no threat to man. It was paradise, wasn't it? It was perfect. But since that day, since that fall, the world has become a dangerous place to live. And let us not think that God is removed from this danger and from this suffering. Let us not think that He is sitting on His throne in heaven, just, just watching us like a spectator would watch a, a baseball game or a, or a cricket match. Now the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tested as we are. And that's because he became a human. In other words, when God subjected the world to futility, he had in mind to send his son. He always knew he was going to do that into this, this very corrupt world in order to rescue us from this sin and to rescue us from this death for eternal joy. And in order to rescue us, the very people who have rejected him, he prepares his son to be born, not in glory, not in a palace, not with gold and marble floors, but in humility, in a feeding trough of, of un, uh, unclean animals, not clothed in, in royal silk, but clothed in in cloth in, that were torn up to, to, to wrap around this, this newborn baby that was stripped and wrapped around him to keep him warm and just like a peasant would have been caring for their child. In other words, in this passage, we're seeing God humbling himself in the humbling of his son for our sakes. It's a glorious picture of what God does for us in the gospel whatever it takes he does whatever it costs he pays and wherever he has to go he goes and whatever he has to bear he bears and the savior you see from the very moment of his birth begins to personally experience the humiliation that we experience because of our our sin Remember, he has no sin. He accepts this experience of humiliation because he is living for us in our place. So every calamity that his people experience because of sin, he experiences. And every disappointment that his people experience because of sin, he experiences. And every rejection that his people experience, he experiences. He accepts our deserved consequences for sin. And we know what that is, folks. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Thank God for the but. Eh? Thank God for that small little word. Thank God for sending Jesus Christ, who accepted this payment on our behalf. The birth of Jesus shows us his humility in the gospel. He humbled himself in his birth 
And he humbled himself in his death. As the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And the reason for the humiliation of Jesus is our salvation. Christmas doesn't end. The story, the full story, doesn't end with Jesus in a manger, folks. He was born. Yes, thank God for that. Thank God he was born in those in those terribly trying, difficult circumstances. But that's not the end of the story. He grew up perfectly under terrible, trying, difficult circumstances. And he never sinned, not once, so that he could give his life as a ransom for us. And one last application as we conclude this morning. I've said it already, but God's power is displayed in weaknesses. In our weakness. You know, just a few weeks ago, we were reading the word of the angel Gabriel to Mary. Remember, he said, Greetings, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. If we had never read the story before, we, we would have been surprised reading chapter 2 to learn that only a few sentences later, after the words of the angel, that that very same woman was, was going to hear. There's no room for you in the inn. Those two phrases don't seem to go together, do they? Greetings are a favored one. Well, sorry, ma'am. Bethlehem is crowded tonight with, with people coming from all over the world to be registered. We don't have any room. You're going to have to use the, the stinky stable. We would not have guessed that when the angel said, he shall be great and shall be called the, the son of the highest that it would be said of him. They laid him in a, a feeding trough for cattle. Those don't go together, do they? I'm talking about the circumstances. These circumstances seem to contradict the power and the comfort of God's words of, of blessing and promise and favor. I'm with you. I'm with you, the Lord says. I'll never leave you. Or forsake you, he says. But there's no place for you to spend the night. He shall be called the son of the highest. Or put him right over here where the ox eat the straw. Like I said last week, you know, looking back to the past, we have perfect 2020 vision, don't we? We now understand the uniqueness of this all in redemptive history. But isn't this something that we struggle with as believers? Young and old believers. Now the Lord says to you, I love you. I will never leave you or forsake you. But you still hear the doctor say, it's cancer. Or worse, it's cancer. I'm sorry, I cannot do anything about it. The Lord says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. But some of you here, I just don't love you anymore. Or, or I found somebody else the Lord says I'll never leave you or forsake you but you still hear your employer say that the company is under financial pressure and and there is no more work for you the Lord says I'll never leave you or forsake you but then you hear mom or dad I hate you and I never want to see you again and the circumstances seem to contradict the blessing and, and the promise, don't they? When these circumstances come, 
You want to say, Lord, I wish I could just have an angel come to me and tell me that you love me and that you care for me. Because if that would happen, I'd believe. If that would happen, I'd believe. I wouldn't be here hanging on by my fingernails in these, in these circumstances, trying to figure out why this is happening to me and what is going on in my life. Well, folks, an angel did come to Mary and Joseph. An angel did tell them of the Lord's blessings. But here they are, right here, having to, to hang on by their, their fingernails in these circumstances into, into which they've been placed. You know, there, there are a lot of us who think that our circumstances show that God's promises can't be true. 2,000 years before that thought ever entered into our, our heads, God has already shown you two believers, Mary and Joseph, who you wouldn't wish the, the circumstances of their lives on your worst enemy. And those circumstances did not contradict the truth and the power of His promise. No, he was not going to display the power of his promise in the midst of wonderful, delightful, perfect circumstances. He was going to display the power of his promises in the worst type of circumstances. A stinky, stable, without any family around, without any friends around. That's where the Lord was going to display his power. Some of you think that circumstances can ruin your life. And sadly, you've fallen into that lie that, that circumstances control your life. They do not. Some of you think that your, your circumstances have already ruined your life. But circumstances don't, folks. They cannot. What can ruin your life is unconfessed sin. That can ruin your life. And that can lead you to terrible circumstances. When you are not willing to respond in humility to the one who has allowed the circumstances in your life for a reason. God is sovereign. He's sovereign over all or he's not sovereign at all. He's allowed the circumstances in your life for a reason. And we need to respond like Mary and Joseph did, in humility. And in this passage, God is saying to us, there is no circumstance where my power cannot be displayed. Let me repeat that. God is saying, there is no circumstance where my power cannot be displayed. So hear me loud and clear as we finish here this morning. God is saying, trust me. He is saying, believe me. And when the why is bouncing around on the inside of your, of your skull, add to that why this question. Lord, how? How can I glorify you in this situation? I don't understand it. I can't make sense of it. But how can I glorify you in this situation? I don't know what, what you're doing. I don't know where you're taking me. But I know that you are sovereign and in control. And that you have promised that you'll never leave or forsake me. How can I respond properly? How can I 
glorify you in this situation. And Lord, in this situation, whether I'm the victim of a grievous wrong or whether I'm the perpetrator of a, of a grievous wrong, show me my sin. Show me my sin. I know you want me to, to trust you more. And that's not going to happen, folks, if, if we have sin that we're holding on to. So pray that the Lord would show you your sin. So that in the midst of this, we can humble ourselves and we can call to the Lord for His mercy and for grace. And that we will depend upon Him, not upon our circumstances, not upon our, our own abilities, not upon our own talents, not upon our, our bank balance, but upon the sovereign Lord of the universe. And then the Lord would grant you this like He did to Mary and Joseph. Now don't stop there. Ask the Lord please. Show me the Savior. Show me the Savior. Show me your salvation. Show me the gospel of grace. Where I am right now. In the condition I find myself right now. I don't know what else you're doing here Lord. But help me live for your glory. Show me the gospel of grace. Show me the Savior. And see the Savior as He is, there in the manger, all full of blood, in peasant's clothes, displaying His glory in your weakness. Aren't you glad that people who saw and heard angels have to do the same thing that, that you and I have to do? We have not seen, we have not heard angels. But we have to believe God's Word when all the circumstances do not make sense. And when we do, His power is displayed in our weaknesses. Let's pray. Lord, we, we often don't know what to say or how to respond. Confront when we are confronted, Lord, with Your truth. But Lord, we shut our mouths before what you do in our lives and, and in the lives of those that, that we love the most. And sometimes we don't have a clue what you're doing. And we don't see its purpose. And we don't see its good. And we don't see how it's going to be a blessing. And Lord, the truth is, we probably don't even like it. Or it hurts. None of us like pain. Or our hearts are crushed under the, the load of these grievous circumstances and every single one of us has our own private battles that we that we are fighting with Lord, sometimes we're sitting around people who know us but they don't know the battle that we're facing but we're grateful today that you do Lord and we need you Lord to know every circumstance of our lives thankful Lord for that truth that you know even how many hairs are, are on our head. We read in Psalm 139 how you were, were knitting us together while we were still in the womb of our, of our mother. And how wonderful are your thoughts towards us. And we're so thankful, Lord, that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Thankful, Lord, that life does make sense now, Lord. Because we're not running after our own idols or our own demigods or ourselves 
Our lives have a purpose. To magnify you, to make your name great, and to enjoy you forever. We're so thankful that even Mary and Joseph learned this lesson, Lord. Even after having heard the angels sat right where we're sitting right now. And we have to do what, what they had to do. We have to trust you. We have to put our faith in you. We pray that you'd help us to do that today, Lord. Thankful today, Lord, for the wonderful gift where you sent Jesus to this earth so that he could die for us. Please, Lord, don't let us waste this gift. Don't let us waste our salvation. Don't let us waste our lives. Give us the grace, Lord, that we need to trust you. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.